listening to the Maximum Summer Show here on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. I'm DJ Actual Birds, or you could call me Dustin, or you could call me, well, I don't know, but just try not to call me anything mean. I'm sensitive. I'm a sensitive guy. Uh, I wonder what you've been hearing. Oh, conveniently, there's a list right here. Uh, behind me right now, you're hearing yet again Bent Fabric, this time with Blue Flamingos. I promise I won't bring it next week. I just keep seeing it. I'm like, oh, I'd like to hear more of that. But uh, that's not fair. That's not fair to you or anybody. Before this, you heard the Ramones within the park. Before that, Jermaine Jackson with Let's Get Serious. Before that, Slim Gaylord with The Bartender's Just Like a Mother. And before that, Esquivel with Mucha Muchacha. Before that, The Pleasure Seekers with What a Way to Die. And that's where we last left off. Um, got, I think, just one more track. We'll see. We'll see how it goes before uh, Living Writers gets rolling. Um, that being classic summer jammer, really a jam for all seasons. Uh, Fox on the Run by The Sweet. Uh, stay tuned to WCBN all day and all night. I'll be back here at 11 p.m. doing Paranoid Chant, the punk and hardcore show. Listen to everything in between. You're not going to regret it. Uh, Be good and have a summery beverage on me. Not really on me. I don't have any money. But, uh, you know, spiritually on me.
corn in your ears. This is a cornball culture, and we need to face the music. Thursday nights at 7, our Wolf Arf and a cast of thousands conduct a never-ending search for alternative national anthems. Embrace the corn. Face the music. Thursday night at 7 on Radio Free Ann Arbor, WCBN-FM Ann Arbor, 88.3 on the extreme left of your dial. Folks, I'm Mel Tillis. Nobody knows better than I do how stuttering affects your life, but help is close at hand. If you, your child, or someone you know has a stuttering problem, reach for the phone and call the Stuttering Foundation of America for information. The toll-free number is 1-800-992-9392. 1-800-992-9392. Off the top of your head. Oh, paperback writer. That's another By one. the That's Beatles, paperback yeah. writer. I remember Ashley David said she wouldn't, that used to be the show's theme song apparently before the uh. host before, and she's hated that song, so <laughs> she did, it was like kiboshed that one. <laughs> so I've never gone back to a theme song, but I like it, Jeff's. Hey, well, good afternoon. You're listening to Living Writers. <laughs> You've heard some back history. Um, we're probably going to start, well, let's just start talking. Uh, 
You're listening to WCBN-FM, Ann Arbor. I'm T. Hetzel. You've got Living Writers and a little bit of the back history of Living Writers there. We used to lead off with a paperback writer's song. Um, when Ashley David uh, came to the helm, though, we... Uh, we uh, we did away with that. So we're going to come back with a song from Bob Dylan. Um, but now I'd like to welcome my guests. I am just so pleased to have with me today um, three stunning guests uh, from Shaman Drum. <laughs> um, kind of here in, uh, I don't know. Well, we've got an hour to talk about it. But you may have heard that Shaman Drum is going to be closing its doors at the end of the month. And so uh, today, Carl Port, Leticia Mitchell, and Jeff Cass are here uh, with us to, to talk about the shop, its, its grand history, uh, what it means to our community, to the book life, um, and and kind of talk. I mean, not and not be sad the whole time. <laughs> uh, welcome, come on in, come on in. Um, so so now we've got uh, uh, Bob Curry is joining us. Come on and sit down, Bob. We'll have to. I'll share with Carl. Sh yeah. Okay, look at that. Look at this is the spirit of community yeah, happening here. <laughs> um, so so um, why don't we go ahead and 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 just start off a little bit. Uh, would you mind telling us sort of why you started the shop, Carl? How did, what, was, what was the birth uh, like of, of the shop? Well, uh, uh, see, I came here and, and moved, into Anna, I moved to Ann Arbor in 1970. I was a conscientious objector, and so I worked for, um, you know, worked for two years at St. Joe's Hospital. And I always, um, always liked hanging out in bookshops. And um, so when I finished my CO work, I started working in a Senecor bookshop in Ann Arbor, which is a really wonderful store that probably you'd have to be a certain age to remember. Uh, and um, then um, got married, decided that I had to get serious about my life. and uh, Ooh, get serious. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so I went to graduate school uh, in the program in American culture. And um, then I ta taught for three years at the University of Michigan in Flint. Uh, and then I moved back to Ann Arbor to, I was offered a job managing a scholarly bookshop uh, uh, up above where Sh Shaman Drum Bookshop now is, and uh, a bookshop called Paideia Books. Uh, is that where also the textbooks are in the present location uh, yes, too now? Yes, that's right. Okay. That's right. Uh, and then, um, oh, started a, uh, that bookshop was on its last legs, and um so that lasted. I moved and moved back to Ann Arbor in May, and then in October it went out of business, and I started Shaman Drum Bookshop there then. And I wanted to do a, um, uh, you know, a bookshop that specialized in scholarly books in the humanities and um, uh, pretty know, highbrow. Yeah, uh, that's what I, uh, uh, I. This this community supported that and uh, could support it. Um, I wanted to, I always thought that the, you know, my idea that one of the best bookshops in the United States is the Seminary Co-op Bookshop at the University of Chicago, which is a specialty bookshop like uh, our store, uh, except ours might be, uh, you know, more literary or, or more, more poetry and, and uh, literature. So is that where the relationship began, Carl, where you have, because it almost seems um, at the university that there's the, the professors, if they have a book coming out, or any of, of, it seems like the writers that are in the MFA program, it's a rite of passage um, for mm -hmm. them. You know, maybe they know they've made it when they have get to have a reading at Shaman Drum. Well, um, that's an honor to say that, but uh, uh, basically, um, I... 
I taught a course um, when I came back, maybe the year after I started the bookshop, taught a course here in Native American literature at at, um, at Michigan. So I've always had, you know, I was in graduate school here, and I've had a lot of friends in, uh, um, uh, who taught. So my sense was that, uh, or, you know, what I felt was that um, I cared about the, uh, the sorts of, books that we sold uh, about six months after I started the bookshop. Uh, some professors showed up and they said that it looked like what I was doing was, you know, essentially a crazy idea. And so they wanted to support it. <laughs> but the crazy wisdom name was yeah, already no, taken. That's right, that's right. <laughs> so they wanted to support it by ordering their textbooks through the store. And I said, well, if you do that, then, you know, what I can try to give back to you on a good day would be a first-rate browsing store in the mm. humanities. Um, that was a pretty good argument. We grew it up slowly. Uh, you know, I'm sitting next to Bob Curry, who uh, for many years was, um, and, and Bob had come from the University Cellar, uh, where he was, uh, uh, you know, worked in textbooks there. And so, uh, you know, through the years I've had this opportunity to have, um, you know, wonderful people. Leticia is here. Jeff is uh, uh I don't know if Jeff ever worked. Well, at the well, store, let's let's take a anyway. quick moment to um like just jump in here and would you mind saying look what your relationships are to the store because Jeff um you because because you work with the neutral zone and and also um high school so with with youth programs maybe and Leticia you you do a lot of book buying don't you for the so would you guys mind just you know Leticia why don't you start okay, <laughs> <laughs> okay. I have been working um, at the store since. 2002, 2003, somewhere in there. Um, and I got promoted to book buyer and also just buyer because I also buy non-book items for the store in late 2005, actually. So my history with the store is in the common era as opposed to Bob and Carl who are <laughs> long before the common <laughs> era. Right, right. Way <laughs> so back in those Keith Taylor days, days too, right? Exactly. right? Some long, long ago days. But no, my mm. real relationship began with the store in 97 when I started grad school at the university, actually, um, and was a, you know, an avid customer, went in all the time. Um, and my favorite anecdote about the store is when I started working there, Vince Masana, who used to be, who used to do receiving, received all the books for the store. When I started working there, he was like, you bought a lot of books. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, you know, and I, the look of shame, you know, came across my face. I was like, yes, I'm, I'm sorry, I guess, evidently. But, you know, my name was known evidently before I even started working there. But Oh, that's yeah. great. You're, you're, so. Yeah, your rep preceded <laughs> right. you. So. And so before you even were on the payroll, you yeah. were you were spending any extra money you had on books there. Right, absolutely. And so. did that continue as, a, as you worked there? Did you sort of put your paycheck back into the shop in well, those ways? No, I did <laughs> until I became buyer. One of the added benefits of being buyers I get free books oh so. that's, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> oh no if only she hadn't become a buyer shaman drum exactly. <laughs> still be in the is right. it the, the black is in the red I don't know <laughs> anyway Jeff tell us tell us about your how when did you first come to the drum well I, I'm not a native Ann Arborite you know I, I grew up in New York and I spent time I've lived in the Bay Area for five years in Seattle for two years and I moved here because my wife was offered a job coaching crew at U of M and um, wow, that's great. Yeah, and you know, I was obviously somebody who loved going into bookstores, and I think maybe it was our first day here, just walking around the Diag. You know, we came across State Street and, uh, you know, walked into Shaman Drum. And, you know, I was a little leery about moving to Michigan, having lived on the coast, you know, and but then when we walked in and we just saw all the books and 
what was on display there, it really made me feel like, well, yeah, this is a city where we could live and, and we could stay here. And you could have a like that that bookshop itself is a home away from a yeah, home and it, and it's kind of become a, a sort of literary second home for me. And you know, just because there's so many wonderful readings that happen there. But also because the programs that I am involved in at the Neutral Zone. Because you're the director of the, the, the Neutral Zone? Yeah, the zone? literary arts programs over there. Not the whole zone, but just the literary Not arts the programs. the whole zone, right? okay. And, and I teach creative writing at Pioneer. And, and, you know, we've been able to, sometimes when authors come into Shaman Drum to read, we can have them come to the Neutral Zone or come to Pioneer. For example, Sherman Alexie. Yeah, right, I think he Sherman did a, Alexie a did a reading at the, at the Neutral, Neutral zone, zone, which was a big highlight. And um, But also, I think, you know, just a place where I can send students and say, this is a place where you can get books. And this is a place where you can go see authors has been has been really wonderful and and Shamadron has also been very supportive of every endeavor we've done I, I remember in 1999 um I had this kind of crazy idea after I'd gone to the National Poetry Slam for the first time to like bring some of the slam poets here and have a big performance in Michigan theater and uh to do that it was going to cost me something like eight thousand dollars to like rent the theater and bring all these poets in and put the show on I didn't have that kind of money. I thought, well, we can sell some tickets and we can try and get sponsorships. And I remember, you know, I'd lived in Ann Arbor at this point, maybe about eight months and didn't really know people too well. Didn't know Carl or, you know, anybody who really worked at Shaman Drum. Um, but I remember just bringing a proposal over and saying, look, we're going to do this big show. It's going to be called the End of the Millennium Poetry Explosion at the <laughs> Michigan Theater. And, uh, you know, we're looking for sponsorships. And, and I remember that, that Borders chipped in with $500, and I was really excited about that. And I was like, oh, it's great. And then, uh, and then Shaman Drum also chipped in $500. And I was like, wow, that's really pretty exciting that this small bookstore will step up at the same level as the big conglomerate. You know, and, and that was just really heartwarming Not to me. Not to be outdone, right, right Carl? <laughs> right. And just, I mean, ever since then, every time we've tried to do something, whether it's bring in authors or, you know, have books to sell or, or put our books in the store to sell that we, that we published, you know, Shaman Drum has always been a huge supporter of us and, and a big ally in all our activities and, and just a driving force behind the growth of the kind of youth writing movement in and, the city. And maybe, Jeff, maybe later on in the program, we could hear maybe a story about one of the, the youth, like, because when somebody, when a youth has, a, like, an opportunity to read at a place like Shaman Drum after they've made something at the neutral zone, that just must be life-changing, I would think. So maybe, um, sure. but we'll come back. And, and Bob, Bob Curry, um, so, so when did you, what was your first, uh, I don't know, entree hmm. into, into the drum? You know, I think in... Um I think I started working at the store in 1986. At a time, I'd, I'd worked at a, a place called the University Cellar, uh, which was a another another bookstore. Carl, Carl and I can make a list of bookstores <laughs> that we worked at that are no longer with us. But, uh, um, well, that's a little sad, though. Yeah, isn't that's, it? That's a, yeah. But uh, I uh, came to Shame Drum after University Cellar in 1986 to help Carl. I more or less set up the textbooks because I'd, I'd really done that at. At the cellar, and I kept on thinking I was going to leave, and I kept on staying, and I kept on thinking I was going to leave, and I think in I think it was about 2002, was it? I think so. Something like that. That I actually left the store, so I I, I worked a, a good chunk of good chunk of time at the store. It was great. It was it was like the mafia. It wouldn't just it wouldn't get bang back there. Right. Well, well, maybe. And so it sounds like from that sort of a uh, time span, you must have some some great stories too. So maybe um, let's take a short break. And uh, you're listening to Living Writers. I'm T Hetzel. Today um, we've got Shaman Drum on the program. Carl Port, Leticia Mitchell, Jeff Cass, Bob Curry. We'll be back.
Welcome back. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. You're listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Um, thanks for being here with us today. Um, and many thanks 
to all my guests here. Um, we've got Carl Port, Leticia Mitchell, Jeff Cass, and Bob Curry here. Um, and if you callers, if you would like to give us a ring with your your memories and comments, uh, we'll do our best to get you on. And thanks for we, we've. Um, I'd like to say thank you to Brian for engineering today. Um, and uh, let's see. Well, let's get right back into the story, <laughs> shall we? Um, so Bob said that uh, Bob Curry has a, a story uh, that he'd like to to throw out there because he's going to have to be leaving soon. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Carl and I were, were talking about this earlier about things in the, that happened in Shame and Drum. And, um, I mean, the first thing I would say was it's incredible that the people I've met and the friends I've made through Shame and Drum. Just unbelievable students, faculty, you know, What is it people. about them? Like, is there something that you see that they actually have in common? or No. Or is it they're just so eccentric? <laughs> they, they, they <laughs> That's come, what they have in common. They come to Shame and Drum, <laughs> you know, so, sometimes forced the students and sometimes voluntarily, but it's, it's just terrific. And, and they always come back. They always come back. They always come back. But a number of years ago, we were thinking about this one particular story. There are a number of years ago, uh, a friend of mine started working at the store named Earl Jabat, and he was um, HIV positive at the time. And this was in the early 90s, 91, 90. And uh, he moved back from Los Angeles, and, and I was able to sort of, you know, finagle a job for him. And uh, he worked at the store and was a wonderful employee for, for a number of years. Uh, he became very ill in 1994 and passed away. And uh, the two most interesting parts of this are when he passed, the, the morning that he passed, August 19th, um, there were at least 10 people from Shame and Drum, you know, maybe more at the hospital, hmm. you know, that, that there was that. At that time, there was that kind of community. And family, and that family. Like it was, level it, of family, it was, really. It was wonderful. And about two weeks later, I was, you know... Uh, Marty Gosser, who was another person who worked at the store, said, you know, Earl always felt that everybody should dress in drag. He never understood why we didn't. So we started an HIV-AIDS awareness deal where every the first day of Book Rush, which is the busiest day in Shame and Drum, the whole staff would dress in drag hmm. and uh, hand out condoms and information, and Hark was involved, the local HIV-AIDS um, information center and it was it was terrific you know it was a terrific way to remember this lovely lovely man that had been one of the employees yeah in a way he so he would be smiling looking at you guys yeah. all in drag then did you have a favorite outfit <laughs> I, I had a lovely <laughs> what describe black and yellow <laughs> strapless piece but i mean it's you know i bet you could shimmy in that <laughs> <laughs> and carl what did you wear well uh I wore lipstick. <laughs> That's as far as I got. Or was it lip balm? I mean, yeah, how far no, were you no, willing no, to go lipstick. for this? Uh, and uh, right too. Is uh, that about right? What's that? Is this story about right? Yeah. yeah. No, it is. Uh, and Bob's. Uh, uh, you know, it was what was most interesting to me about it was that, you know, the first day of classes in, in September, you get a lot of students who are, you know, from all over the country, and they'd come upstairs and they'd see. You know, the men dressed in drag, the women dressed in drag. And for the most part, nobody would say anything. And they just sort of tried to be cool about it. Uh, instead of, like, asking, why are you people doing this? What's going on here? And I thought it was just... Uh, and then they just thought it was a bonus that they got some condoms <laughs> then, right? Yeah. They're like, I love uh, Michigan. Yeah. <laughs> but I, th I think that it was just like... What's uh, not to love? Uh, they were just... Uh, uh, it was, you know... Uh, I mean, I'm older, so I would... If that happened now, I'd say, hey, what's going on here? You know, what's uh, uh, what's this about? But nobody did. 
<laughs> which I thought was really funny. I always thought they were scared. Yeah, <laughs> I did. Be. No, I mean, I really did. I always <laughs> felt like the students were scared. You know? Yeah, it was did, one. Did it was you go all, through it. Yeah, I did. You know, I mean, you mean I'm scared to ask or scared, scared of ask, all the employees. Please. I think both, actually. I think oh, I think no. it was both. Actually. That's not very welcoming, no. is it? No, no. I mean, I did. You know, I always hated that they that they didn't ask. You know, but I knew oh. that that staff would go out of their way to try and to try and engage people and let them know what was going on and why. But mm, <laughs> but did, I think I had more say about school. Park there to yeah. Hand out information, so right. But right. I think it was more about student. I mean, it was largely undergrads, you know, the, the, the yes. culture. But well, that's what, and that's what college is about, isn't it? Like to be a little shaken up. You know, if you're not shaken up, then it should be about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Or stirred, or something like that. Um, well, well, Jeff, what, since since you also have to leave us a little bit early, what what are some moments with the the youth programs that come to mind? Any particular youth writer or? Well, yeah, I'm for sure. There's a there's a young woman named Angel Nafis who's been working at Shaman Drum now for I think almost three years, and and um, she's a wonderful writer, and you know, has had some difficult circumstances in her life, and I think that, um, you know, she was able to to start working at Shaman Drum, and I think that really helped her figure out who she 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 is, you know, and I think that she became uh, somebody who feels more confident about being part of the literary community, and. Uh, just feels like she's somebody who can go on and, and make a living and be okay. I mean, she sort of graduated high school and didn't really know where she was going. And I think over the last couple of years, uh, she's been going to school at WCC, and, and Shaman Drum has just been a, a rock of stability for her. And um, just watching her sort of grow into a person of consequence has been really beautiful to see um, at Shaman Drum. And the other thing is, I, you know, I was just in the store today, and uh, to see another one of my students, uh, Mike Moyarty, who just released his, his book called The Ill Lad and the Odd MC, um, you know, have a, a prominent place in the store, and you know, see his his poetry book right in the right in the middle of the store where all the kind of featured books are was also really moving. You know, and and thinking about wow, you know, these 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 people that have been sitting in my creative writing classes, you know, people are going to start reading their stuff, and I think Shaman Drum has been you know an, an avenue for them to to kind of walk down that road and take those first steps. And for me, that's that's incredibly powerful. What we it's. You know what? This it is it is really powerful, and I'm wondering what's going to happen when and we don't we don't have it uh, there. Uh, it we have a caller on the line, um, and I believe it's Patrick O'Keefe. Um, Patrick, uh, he he read from his book The Hill Road, and for and and I'm hoping we're going to be able to hear from him now. Patrick, uh, are you there? Patrick. Patrick, are you there? <laughs> Thanks for bearing with us out there in Radio Land, everyone. Patrick? Not not getting any sound yet, but um, we're going to keep trying just for a moment. Patrick is calling in from Hamilton, New York, where he's um, he's a writing professor there. And... Hmm. <laughs> well, maybe this, you know, all I'm hearing right now is a little bit of feedback of what I've already said, which is, is disturbing. I'm glad that doesn't always happen because I don't think I'd probably keep doing this show. <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, well, maybe what we'll do is when Patrick can, he'll pipe in and and then we'll just let him speak. <laughs> Oh dear. Uh, well, let's see. Let's let's just try and um, go go on. You know what? 
what's Patrick can call maybe Patrick if you're there thanks for calling but I think we'll we'll just we'll go back to talking um, here just just uh, among among us usual suspects <laughs> and maybe we if we can figure that out we'll give it another world before the end of the hour um, but but yeah Jeff you were saying that that so that this this shop is more than a place to go buy books. It's more than a place to go and attend a reading, which are all important things. Um, but, and as, and as employees too, uh, you spent years of your life there. What does it mean? Uh, like, w will there be a vacuum? Like, will, will there be, will the Great Lakes Literary Arts Center fill some of this? Or what, what do you see I, the scope I hope so. of our community? You know, I, I absolutely believe there'll be a huge vacuum. You know, I think there's there's going to be a need for you know a place where emerging writers, where where local writers, where where people who aren't the you know big celebrities that some of the bigger chains are interested in, but are are wonderful writers, will have a place where they can read and a place where people can discover their books, and a, and a place where uh, you know the youth can have their work on display and also you know sometimes take the stage in a real actual bookstore and. And so yeah, I think so, that's so an absolutely it's, it, it's, it's enormous need. Uh, important yeah. to have an actual bookstore. Like it's not like we're moving into some sort of virtual, <laughs> you know. Well, let's all click on this at the same time and <laughs> be in the same no, well, virtual I, reading room together. Or what do you think? Yeah, Leticia, what do you what do you think? Well, no, what I was going to say is that it is important to have an actual store, and that one of the things that um, I always loved about the store is the presentation of the books. It's, you know, part of book culture is the care in which the books are selected, in which they're presented, and that's all then part of the ethos of the store, and certainly as buyer, you know, that when I became buyer, that was something I was always very concerned about, and I never stopped being concerned about it, is, you know, what what Carl and I were bringing into the store, and, you know, and I had a big, Carl let me have a big say in that, he was very generous that way, but you know, something I was always very concerned about was that because it's it's the face of the store in a lot of ways. You know, until you develop a relationship with the store, with people who work at the store, this is the self, it's self-presentation. Are the books on its shelves? Are the books that are on display? And that you want to care about what it is that you're bringing to the community. Um, and you want to make sure that you are maintaining that the personality of the store and if it you know and it shifts and changes over yeah, time what to is be the sure. personality of the store would you say because you can talk about mission and vision but that's great like what is the personality of the store well i think that uh, i mean uh, i'm 61 years old so i was really formed i graduated from high school in 1965 I think Bob may be uh, uh, and he's he's a considerably Virgo. younger than I am. Carl's a Virgo. Uh, and uh, so I, I think that uh, probably for all four of us sitting here that we were in uh, one way or another formed by um, the experience of the 1960s, or I certainly was, uh, and, uh, you know, for good or ill. Uh, and so the sense of community is something that's always been important to me. Uh, and I also grew up on, in, in Flint, Michigan, which is a tough, uh, tough auto town. Uh, and uh, I was there in the late 70s when it went down, uh, when mm. it started to, to go south. And so my sense is that, uh, you know, you need to, if you, wherever you live, you should, you, you need to work to try to protect your community. Uh, because when it falls apart, it's awful. And um, so, you know, that my politics, if, if I have any politics, at, you know, at the age of 61, 
uh, it's uh, the importance of the idea of community. And I also am committed to the values of bookishness, which uh, <laughs> uh, may, uh, uh, you know, I think that uh, uh, Bob, Leticia, and Jeff are probably, you know, much more with it now than I am. I feel like uh, an old timer. But uh, so I'm committed to the values of, you know, what we think of as the traditional, what we think of when we think of as books. But, you know, I'm open for the ways that that gets uh, Jeff on the way over here was talking to me about uh, 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 poetry and young people and how, how vital that is now. And I don't move in those social circles so much anymore. I'm a grandpa. I have two grandchildren. So it's, um, it's really... Um, it's harder for me to stay in touch than it used to be. Oh, gosh, in a way, I wish there could be some miracle and your grandchildren were already ready to take the helm of the shop. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I guess if we were living in an ideal world. <laughs> um, um, it looks like we've got Patrick O'Keefe um, on the line and we're going to give it another try because we are, if anything, we are optimists. Right. <laughs> Absolutely right. And I'll just say, I'll do the station ID right now. WCBN FM Ann Arbor. You've got it. Living Writers um, today on the program. Carl Port, Leticia Mitchell, Jeff Cass, and Bob Curry. And we're going to have a go with this uh, again. Um, hi, Patrick. Are you are you with us too, Patrick? I am. I, I am with you. Steve. All right. Wow. Hey, I, Patrick. I feel like we've <laughs> got. Um, I feel like we've we are talking to you on the moon. That we've got liftoff. This is this is amazing. Thanks to Brian, the engineer, and and Tex, and to Kristen. <laughs> yeah, actually, O'Keefe has landed. So so Patrick, you're calling from from Hamilton, New York. From Hamilton, New York. Yes. And, and, I, and I read that news this morning about the shop about Shum and Drum. Yeah. And I, and what did you? What was your reaction? Oh, just you know, of course, great sadness and and just some tremendous memories of uh, you know personal and both going in there for the readings and and uh, I, you know I I did buy books there, although I did an awful lot of browsing, to, you know, the, 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 in the poetry section and the fiction section, and uh, you know, Ray's great introductions I, yeah. are, are oh, very memorable. Right. And Leticia is there, right? Yes, yes. Hello, hi, Leticia. Hi, sweetie. How are you? I'm fine. How are you doing? Good. Yeah. Yes, Ray McDaniel has um, be, those those intros. Where where will he introduce now? What's going? I, things oh, are crumbling. Keep Ray down, I imagine. That's right. It is. It is. Ray, if you're listening, you're yeah. You. That's what we all feel. <laughs> what Patrick just said. So Patrick, can you tell us? Because um, when your first, when your novel came out, uh, The Hill Road, uh, could you tell us about that? Because you, that's actually I, before I knew you as a, a friend. I, I heard you read at Shaman Drum, yeah. um, and it was for this this moment. Can what was it like reading there? Oh, you know, it's it's the, you know, we, you know, I went to what I started graduate school there in 98 and you know we would go to almost all of the readings you know it was so exciting to go there and see all those nationally renowned writers that would come true and and you know I suppose you know you're like I'll never get up there myself and do that or that's never going to happen to me and and it was just really I mean it was such a just such a wonderful um, moment to to get to stand up there and read and have Ray introduce you and to have, uh, 
you know, the, the, the community and to have all those people there yeah. is just a wonderful, Cause what, you know, it's probably what, the best part of it. What was it like, <laughs> what was it like looking out then? Because you probably, you're there and then you stand up after that moment when oh, Ray's finished. Oh, I downwards. I was too, I was, <laughs> was nervous, I think. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, um, yeah, it's, you know, it was something, it was such a great honor, actually. You know, it's a great honor to get up there and read and well, what do you and think, Carl? From your friends and stuff. And to, yes, yeah. I think that the honor was uh, ours. Thank you, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. So, well, well, Patrick, thank you. Do you want to stay on the line and just no, chat I get along? Off. Or? Enough. <laughs> enough is no, enough. Was, before. Was, uh... Oh, oh, Leticia would like to say say something before before you head off. Okay, Patrick. Leticia. Yeah. No, it's nothing. It's nothing bad. But before the, but before your reading, you know, when your book, the day your book was um, to hit the shelves, you knew yes. it was going to. You knew it was going to hit the shelves, and you came in the store really early that morning, which I knew Did was I? unusual because yeah, you always browsed. This. Yeah, you always browsed in the afternoon, I did. and you came in right when we opened, <laughs> and you were just looking around, looking around, looking around, and I was like, Do you need help with something you're like no no it's okay it's okay and then you, he walked out of the, you walked out of the store and then i went up to shell books probably about an hour later and i saw your your book sitting up on the shelf and i was like this was why he was here why didn't he just say and i could have brought it down and we could have taken care of this but you were too afraid oh, wait, to you say. mean they hadn't been put out yet they hadn't been Leticia? put out yet they were stickered and ready to go but you know some staff member which is going to be me that day need to bring them from receiving down to the trade floor but, you know, Patrick didn't say that's what he was in there looking for. And if you had just said, you know, we're take Well, I think of. the most books I sold, I sold them there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so God love it. Uh, no. Um, no, it was wonderful, yeah. yeah. I remember that now, Leticia. I'd forgotten it. Right, yeah. It was, it was really funny because I was like, why is he here so early? <laughs> Isn't he usually in bed at this hour? <laughs> uh, well, Patrick, thank you so much. Okay. for calling All in. All the best, Carol and, oh. and Jeff and Leticia. Bye. Bye. Bye, 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 Uh Well, that, well, this is something. It's it's actually, it's still, it's still, um, it's still hard to believe. We're going to, since it's hard to believe, we're going to take a short break. And uh, you're listening to Living... We'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have a musical interlude. Street. 
Shaman Drum represented here with Carl Port, Leticia Mitchell, and Jeff Cass. Uh, Bob Curry just had to um, head out because he's got a drive to get to. But maybe he, he's probably listening in the car right now. Hi, Bob. Uh, hi, Ann. Um, so, so at one point, um, we were talking about what will happen if, will there be a vacuum? Um, if there's not an actual physical space known as Shaman Drum for the book community. Um, and Leticia, you were mentioning how the books are, that's what I think is, is something that could be lost. Because when you go to browse, when you walk into a bookshop, mm. it's like you have a chance to, you know, if you're an introvert or if you're not, like you have a chance to find literally like some new friends that may be living or dead writers. And, and, and one book could be sitting, ne- a book that you know could be sitting next to something or facing out and like a face out book could could kind of draw you in and then you find a new uh book um so so how how will it happen how what do you think about the book community now i'll just throw that out there and let's all have at it Hmm. well i don't think that the um uh, that the system works anymore or that it works very well or certainly well enough for us and uh, do you mean as an independent bookshop, Carl? Or I mean, or what? as an independent bookshop, chain bookshops are in real trouble. Uh, publishers are in trouble. The New York Times book review is in trouble. Everybody's uh, having a real hard time. I mean, every 500 years, this there's a. It seems there's this. Uh, you know, techno- 500 years ago, Gutenberg, in you know, came up with uh, the movable, movable type. type. <laughs> and it's 500 years later, and we're in the middle of this revolution, this electronic or digital revolution. And uh, there's going to be, and there already is, a lot of collateral damage. And you think about the, um, oh, the, you know, that um, and the collapse of the economy. And I'm afraid that for a lot of people, and I'm not including anybody in this room, but that books are really, uh, uh, you know, are not essential commodities. They are for all of us. But uh, so it's switching now. And, um, uh, you know, I tend to... Um, but switching to, like, will we not have physical objects? Will it be all, like, upload into your plastic-carrying portable tech device? Well, I, you know, I, I'm not sure that it's, like, sort of, like, the Kindle versus the physical book is the issue. You know, like, the electronic reader versus the, the one... Is it in, about readers? I think it, it has to do with, like, technology in a broader sense. You know, that you've got so many more different ways to entertain yourself. And you got so many more ways to... to to get stories, you know, whether that means through movies or through something on YouTube or, or you know, just uh, something digitally, that I, it, 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 there's just more competition. And I don't think that, that the book world has yet really stepped up to the plate in terms of what it really has to offer and figured out a way to make itself work, to make the system work. Because I think, I mean, look, as a teacher, students want what they always want. They still want ideas they want their minds challenged they want the escapism that comes with a story they want the fantasy they want you know they they love that stuff the imagination yeah they want it they want to they want to spark their imagination some way or another and they want to open their minds books can do that but there's other things that can do that for them also and i think you know if we want people to continue to read as teachers uh, as people who are purveyors of culture in our society we just need to figure out a way to to get that culture to to, to young people maybe in a different way 
and it's happening right now. Right, because you know the thing about the thing about this conversation that and it is a national and international conversation that we're having as we go through this revolution about about books and book culture and bookishness. To me, it's been coupled, I think, in a wrong way. It's sort of like people, you know, are attaching a kind of a series of and a set of intellectual concerns, um, intellectual conversations, and that kind of thing, as well as imaginative conversations, you know, as being somehow intrinsically linked to the book. And I don't think anybody is saying that. It's sort of like that will always be a need. People will always have a need to converse about ideas, to have their imagination spark, you know, as Jeff so rightly put, but that it might not be necessarily in this form. And that the form is definitely changing, and that will shape the content in some in some way, most definitely. But I think that's much further down the line, much further down the line in history, actually. Um, so you're you know, saying like, there won't be just text? Is, I mean, what yeah. are what are what are you kind of? Well, what I'm what I'm suggesting is that it's what I'm saying is that it's not. You know, I think the book is the book itself as a physical object is dying. You know, and I and I'm not sad necessarily to see that go because it's you know it's a terrible drain on natural resources. However, what the book represents, what happens within the book, that's the important thing, and that will always need to be there. Right. Actually, so that the book is just holding a set of information. It's occasioning a series of conversations, but in and of itself, it's not. The but, is, but it but I actually I, I disagree. So I guess I'll always be in that like camp that's the the I don't know, the horse drawn carriage camp or something. <laughs> <laughs> because I feel like the book is an artifact, is is mm. like it's an art object oh, or, I agree. It's, or yeah. there's something about it having then the imagination that we bring to it. It's it's a life somehow. Also, this book itself. I think. Um, I think also, and and I don't mean to disagree with Lucy because I think that um, uh, you know that there'll be we're at, we're at an age where you know in Plato wrote about uh, um, the movement from um, an oral to a written culture, and one of the uh, Socratic dialogues, and I can't remember which one it is, but uh, challenges the idea. Says that you know uh, speaks against. Uh, uh, you know the, the movement from a, uh, things. Oral culture is better than a written culture, and so I don't want to sound like one of those. Uh, uh, you know, squares back and uh, 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 you know, uh, arguing against that. But I think that the, you know, in we terms can still of make an, fire. Uh, yeah, uh, that in terms of an efficient technology, that what we think about when we think about books is it's still the most efficient. Tech now, all the production costs are up front, uh, and I think about a couple. You know, maybe five years ago, they dug this um, this book that had been cast into a, a bog in Ireland in the 12th century, and they dug it out of this bog, cleaned it off, and they could still read it. Now that's a pretty efficient technology, uh, and um, it says something for bogs too. Yeah, it does. Uh, but you know, given the um, um, uh, the and a lot of people with electronic books don't. You know what are the, what are the costs on into the future in terms of energy costs, in terms of storing this information, elect, you know, electronically. Probably they're very or will uh, it disappear? Right now. Will it will it disappear easily? Because you have like these. I don't know. With yeah. an object, you feel like well, unless you lose the book, which I guess you could too. But but with with if it's just in the atmosphere mm-hmm. and the words come and go, or it's in, it just feels like it's. You could lose it more easily. Well, and, about and five what years are we ago, we don't uh, have our artifacts. Yeah, about five years ago, I heard somebody refer to a book as an information platform, hmm. and there are multiple information platforms. But I think that the book is a pretty good one. And as Jeff said, you know, I think we, I mean, I'd like to, and I'm not 
you know, up for doing it today, but to talk about the neurobiology of reading. A lot of people are doing mm. research on that mm-hmm. versus watching movies or the kind of level of, you know, neurological engagement that, uh, well, of that course, happens when you read. Literally the imagination, right, Carl, with different mm-hmm. parts of your brain would be firing because you're creating the pictures or the visuals. It's not just right. a wash washing over you or... or yeah, I mean, a lot of people, I think, want to make the comparison between the music industry, you know, and the book industry. And they want to say, well, you know, vinyl disappeared and, and cassettes disappeared and CDs are on the way out. And, you know, that's really what's going to happen to books. But I don't think it's a direct parallel. Like, I, I really think that the, the technology of the book actually is very efficient, you know, and it is sustainable. I mean, I think that Leticia brings up good points about natural resources. So, I, you know, I'm not yes. necessarily opposed to, like, a lot of text not necessarily being collected in a, collected in a book. But, but I think, like, just opening up a book and reading those pages, you know, wherever you are, in bed at night, on the beach, you know, on the subway, on a bus, I don't, I'm not convinced that an electronic reader where you've got to deal with batteries, where you've got to deal with glare, where you've got to deal with sand getting in it, is going gonna, is gonna to really be better in the way that it's obviously kind of like, you know, the iPod it works better than a vinyl